I'm a member here at Bible Baptist and one of a handful of brothers that provide pulpit fill-in as needed. Our official title is Cannon Fodder. So please come back Sunday and hear a real preacher. Bear with me as I deal with a couple of formalities prior to looking into God's word. First of all, I'm quite surprised that I was asked to fill in tonight considering the massive abuse hurled at me in last Wednesday night's service. However, I'm a firm believer that revenge is served best cold. So tonight I'm going to attempt to take the high role, not out of humility, but purely. To wait for a better time. Of course, it appears that God has blessed what was intended to embarrass me. You see, the Kellogg's Corporation contacted me this week about designing a Frosted Flakes jigsaw puzzle. (coughs) So that you're not distracted all night. Now, if you don't know what I was talking about, apparently you missed last Wednesday night message. But don't waste your time watching it online. Just thank God you weren't here. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for how good you've been to us. We thank you for our freedom, for our health, for the ability to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and fellowship and worship you and look into your word. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is what binds us together and not our choices. Lord, we come to you tonight and we pray that that all of our hearts, mine included, would be open to hear your message and that you would give us the grace to be obedient. And we'll give you the glory... Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 10. (coughs) We're going to look at just the first half of verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. I have become alarmed by the number of Christians that claim to be committed to Jesus, but not the church. For the purpose of this sermon, I'm going to refer to them as churchless Christians. In fact, I've titled the message, Churchless Christianity, the Ultimate Oxymoron. I'd also like to break that category of churchless Christians down into three subcategories. The first are those who outright reject organized Christianity. They might say, I'm into Jesus, but not into the church. They might even argue that church membership is unbiblical. Whatever their reason, 
or excuse. They assume their personal relationship with Christ somehow negates any need to be committed or accountable to other Christians. I'm going to call this category of churchless Christians the Lone Rangers. The second group are those who go to church expecting to be fed or entertained. Their their expectations often blind them from seeing the big picture, like a hummingbird whose only objective is continual feeding. They exert a lot of energy but never perch. Rather than working with a local body of believers over the long haul, they move from church to church, following preachers, music, and are the latest Christian buzz or happening. I'm going to call these short-termers. They might be faithful when times are good, but as soon as things become uncomfortable, God seems to move them somewhere else. Quick to leave, slow to re-engage. <coughs> the third category includes those who have had a mountaintop experience, a time in their Christian walk when God revealed himself to them in a dramatic way. God blessed, their faith grew, and everything in them wanted to serve the Lord with their whole life. Then, when they came down off the mountain, the fog of disillusionment covered the holler. Now, if I was in anywhere else besides Kentucky, I would have said covered the valley. But my neighbor has made sure I know I live in a holler. So disillusionment often turns to criticism of other Christians who don't have the same vision or whose faith is not as great as theirs. Unfortunately, the church becomes an easy target. Rather than their spiritual gift being used to edify the church, they sit home surfing Christian media, commentating on what the church should be doing, evaluating preachers the way armchair quarterbacks do with football games. Like a runner... As he ages and his speed decreases, no matter how hard he trains, sooner or later becomes discouraged with his inability to improve his speed, so he quits running altogether. They may have been a part of an on-fire youth group that witnessed on the streets and even traveled as missionaries, but for whatever reason, their excitement has turned to criticism. It gives them a reason not to be committed to a church. We'll call them the has-beens. Now, getting back to our scripture in Hebrews, I cringe when I hear someone use this verse to try and convince churchless Christians the errors of their ways or as a standalone scripture expected 
to convince them to of the importance of committing oneself to a church. Yes, it does have application, but by itself, it is such a flimsy argument. It doesn't even elevate itself to the wisdom of not taking a knife to a gunfight. It's more like saying, I'm taking my trusty wooden spoon to fight a man with a gun. Throwing this verse into the octagon by itself is just lazy. So let's see if we can put some meat on the bones of this skinny little verse and have ourselves a real fight. Now you know that chapters and verses are man-made tools added to Scripture for the purpose of organization and reference. So rather than just looking at half of one verse, which is what we read, let's read the complete paragraph, which starts with verse nine, with verse 19 and ends with verse 25. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay, now we can see why we just take that one half verse out by itself and read it. What does going to church have to do with anything about confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus or a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil or having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water? Okay, let's recalibrate. Remember that reading the whole paragraph gives us the complete context of the point God is making. It's not an overall view of the entire letter, which we need to have, but it is one very important point within the message of the entire letter that we should not overlook or blow out of proportion. The writer of Hebrews is addressing his Jewish brethren, extending to them an invitation to leave behind the Levitical system and to embrace the benefits of the new covenant of Christ. With confidence, having direct access to God through the blood of Christ is unimaginable to a religious Jew 
in that day and age. The imagery in verse 22 is taken from the sacrificial ceremonies of the Old Covenant where blood was sprinkled as a sign of cleansing and the priests were continually washing themselves and the sacred vessels in basins of clean water. Being washed with pure water pictures the Holy Spirit purifying a person's life by means of the word of God in a way a Jewish man would understand. From the entire letter we know these Hebrews were members of a community whose initial attraction to Christ was in danger of eroding. They had been considering a return to the Levitical system of Judaism to avoid persecution. Mutual encouragement to make a full commitment to the new covenant is a critical theme in this letter. They needed to stimulate each other to love and good deeds in the midst of persecution. They were at risk of forsaking assembling themselves together in collective corporate worship, which is a vital part of spiritual life and crucial to mutual encouragement and commitment. The warning here is against apostasy or the falling falling away. There is an urgency to the encouraging which requires increased activity as the as the return of Christ approaches. So to make application today, we need to understand that today the the neglect of church life is not due to the fear of persecution, but it's rather self-indulgence that has inflicted Christianity in a day and age when individualism runs rampant and the organized collective nature of the church is vilified. In Hebrews, the writer is attacking the root of the problem rather than the symptoms. That's why so much is said about direct access to God through the blood of Christ, the new covenant, the coming day of judgment, and so little is said about not forsaking or assembling together as the habit of some is. Assembling together does not fix the problem if they don't address the root problem, which was apostasy. To focus on the results of the problem rather than the root of the problem is a very common mistake, often causing us to fight the wrong battles. Scripture is full of examples of men thinking they were fighting for God only to be fighting against God. Saul of Tarsus, we know as the Apostle Paul in Acts 26, 14 said, I hear a voice, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Is it hard for thee to kick against the pricks? Kicking against the pricks was an idiom referencing to, referring to an animal's futile resistance to being prodded along with pricks or goads. In the same way, Peter 
in Matthew 16, 21 through 23, thought he knew God's will and actually rebuked Jesus. In Matthew 20, or 16, 21 through 23, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and to be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Wow. Talk about moxie. God forbid it, Lord, that thou shalt never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block for me. For you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but on man's. Peter was fighting the wrong battle. Of course, Peter wasn't ready to back down and let God be God. Peter was, in his own mind, totally committed. Ready for a fight. Ready to lay his life down for Jesus. The problem was that he was too quick to fight the wrong battle. Matthew twenty six fifty through 54. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. This is from Matthew. and John, we know that someone who was with Jesus was Peter. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? In other words, Jesus was saying to Peter, God does not need you to fight his battles. It appears that we, are, that we are surrounded by causes and are quick to take up arms in battle that aren't ours, oftentimes ignoring the battles that we need to be fighting. Matthew twenty six forty and 41. <coughs> this was Jesus had left the three of his disciples to pray and watch. And he had gone off to pray in the garden. And he comes back and they're asleep. And then he, in verse 40, Jesus, and he came and the disciple to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Like Peter, are we falling asleep rather than fighting the spiritual warfare around us with prayer? Then when we wake up to how shocking the world has become, we quickly draw out our sword against the wicked government and the onslaught of immorality that's destroying our country? Have we forgotten that things 
will get worse and that our country will become part of an evil one world government? 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20 says, Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body. But the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Abortion and homosexuality, perversion that no longer shocks us, has been replaced by the shock value issues of sex change and the alphabet mafia. Like an angry mob, the shock stirs us up. Do we think that we can stand up, holler, and shout like we did against abortion and homosexuality 20 years ago without dealing with our own immorality? Adultery, fornication, pornography continue to destroy the lives and families of Christians across our nation as we embrace a self-indulgent perspective of grace. The sad thing is that it doesn't shock us anymore. We've accepted it because it's easier to embrace grace than to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The root that we need to attack today regarding churchless Christianity is self. Self-indulgence, pride, rejection of authority, temporal values, which are all the nature of the old man and are fed by Satan's lies that twist scripture to spiritualize our self-indulgence. Some Lone Ranger Christians say, I am the church. Scripture teaches that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. However, it's Satan's lie that takes and makes that into I am the church. Our individual faith and personal relationship with Christ does not eliminate our need to be a part of an organized congregation of believers where we can labor and enjoy the benefits of corporate worship, accountability, preaching, teaching, and the opportunity to use our spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians twelve fourteen. For the body is not one member, but many. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are Christ's body and individual members of it. Romans 12, 4 through 5. For just as we have many members in one body, all the members do not have the same function. So we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Satan also misuses Matthew 18.20, which says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. Satan would have us believe that we can have church at home as a family, invite a few friends, and call it a New Testament church. 
Yes, Christ, the head of the church, has started churches in home. A church building does not make a church any more than a house makes a family. However, a church that meets in a home out of necessity is far different than Christians that meet in a home because they are unwilling to submit to others or they can't find a church spiritual enough for them. The sad fact is that most churchless Christians aren't even disciplined enough to start a home church. They float around church to church, media preacher to media preacher, ministry to ministry, picking and choosing what suits them, what fits their hyper-spiritual self-indulgent theology. Without accountability or willingness to submit to authority, it reminds me of Judges 17, where over and over and over the scripture says, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. When our actions and decisions are determined by what is right in our own eyes, it reveals that we have no king. We are not under authority. Satan has, Satan has convinced some that to join a church is unscriptural, that when we are born again, we are part of the church. Again, Satan's lies are often biblical principles misapplied or taken out of context. Scripture teaches that you can't join anything to receive eternal life, that you must be born again. Acts 2, 38. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then a few verses down in 41. Then they, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. According to Scripture, we must repent and be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ in order to be born again. At which time, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then, our first act of obedience is water baptism. And when we are baptized, we are baptized into the church. So if a born-again believer chooses to disobey and not be baptized, thus not joining the church, he is not unborn again. He is a believer living in disobedience without God's blessing that comes through the act of obedience within the church. Again, if a born-again believer is baptized thus becoming a member of the church that baptized him, but he chooses not to be an active part of that body or to submit himself to another body, again, he is a believer living in disobedience without God's blessing that comes from being active participant within the body of Christ. It does not make one unsaved any more than the thief on the cross who was never a member of a local church. However, 
if unlike the thief on the cross, your reason to abstain from church membership is selfish, prideful, rebellious, or even sincerely deceived, you are in danger. Like a child that runs away from home because he can't have his own room or he doesn't like his parents. The protection and provisions that come from living at home are forsaken in exchange for a false freedom. The opportunity to live out from under authority. What does the New Testament tell us about the church? Matthew 16, 18, Jesus promised to build his church. The book of Acts begins with the arrival of the Holy Spirit, which empowered the church. Acts 2, 47, the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Acts 16, 5, so the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Most of the New Testament epistles were written to churches. In the book of Revelation, John records Jesus' seven letters to the churches. And the New Testament concludes with Jesus' dramatic return for his bride, the church. The New Testament depicts the church in multiple ways. But each way reflects the corporate, collective nature of the church and of Christians who are a part of it. Considering, consider the following word pictures referring to the church. The first one is as a body, 1 Corinthians 12, 25 to 27, so that, there, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individual members of it. Romans 12, 4 4 and 5. For just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individual members one of another. Colossians 3, 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. The second word picture that depicts the church in the New Testament is as a flock. Acts 20, 28 through 30. Be on guard for yourself and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. It not only refers to the church as being a flock, it warns us that there will be savage wolves whose only agenda is to destroy the flock, to destroy the church. And those will come from without and from within. First Peter 5, 1 through 4. Therefore I exhort the elders among you 
as your fellow elder and witness of the suffering of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The third analogy of a church or the word picture of a church is as a building. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 11. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Another is building on it. Each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Ye are God's building, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. For other foundation can no man lay other than is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Also in Ephesians two nineteen through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and are God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The sum of the sum total is greater than its individual parts. Like a human body or the building, the church does not function as God's design as God had designed it to function when Satan convinces us that we are better by ourselves. How is the sum greater than its parts? Through collective worship, collective ministry, and collective witness. As individuals, it's about us. When we submit to one another collectively, it's about Christ. In the New Testament, the gathering of the church was standard operating procedure. On the first day of the week, the church came together for worship, fellowship, to sit under the teaching of God's word, and to practice the church ordinances. This is corporate worship. Shared ministry, Ephesians four eleven through 14. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ 
until we all obtain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine or by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitfully scheming. And the third one is collective witness. As Christians mature in the protected environment of the church, we learn to die to self. We learn to serve others, to become accountable, to voluntarily submit to authority. This is a testimony of the Lordship of Jesus Christ to a world that is self-serving, unaccountable, and resist authority. The local church is a community of Christians whose actions advance the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. When their mouths say, I love my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, their actions aren't screaming, I really love myself. So now I got through the introduction. We're going to get into the real meat of the sermon. (laughs) Now I've just got a few bullet points to kind of wrap this up. Um, I don't know. There's I've just from personal experience with people that I love very much. This has been a very uh, this is a very personal message. And I just want to cover uh, the final bullet points. First one is, there is no perfect church. Every church is comprised of sinners. They're comprised of both types of sinners. Redeemed sinners and unredeemed sinners. Scripture teaches us in the parable of the tares. The tares have been sown. That's the field of God. Churches all have people that think they're saved that aren't. Second bullet point. Is to remember that Christ is the one building and purifying his church because he is going to present his church without spot or wrinkle. It's not about us. It's about him. Third point is we need to remember not to fight the wrong battle. Um, this, this one gets me in trouble a lot because I don't know. It's, I cringe every time I hear Christians fighting against a one-world government. Because a one-world government's going to happen. It, it's, script, it's in the Scripture. It's, it's going to happen. Nowhere in Scripture does it tell us we need to fight against the one-world government. Now, I'm not going to promote it. I'm going to call it evil. I'm going to 
refer to it as the kingdom of the devil, but I got other battles to fight. And that battle is with, with self. The other thing that, 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 that worries me is some Christians become obsessed with thinking that it's our job to protect Israel. Now, Scripture says God blesses those who bless Israel. God loves those who love Israel. But God's Israel's protector, not Christianity. Next point. If you are a Christian that has drifted away from the church, now, I know saying this to you guys here on a Wednesday night, it's like, what are you talking about? But I'm really saying this to, to whoever might listen to it. But I'm also, it's a warning to you and me that we be careful because any of these, we could be any one of these churchless Christians. I mean, you need to ask yourself, what would it take for me to leave the church? Okay? And, and, you might, and somebody might say, well, Charles, what if, the, what if the pastor has a different doctrinal stance than I do? Well, it depends on how serious that is. If it's serious enough for me to leave this church, then it's serious enough to me to warn everybody else of the heresy that's going on. And it, it ain't just about the temperature of the baptismal water or the color of the carpet. Or other doctrinal issues that are important but aren't important enough to split a church. Because if the pastor or the elders or the deacons have a different doctrinal stance than I do, then it gives me a great opportunity to practice what being a church is all about. And that's to go to the Lord and say, Lord, if I'm wrong, change me. Change my perspective. If he's wrong, change his perspective. And let God be God. If you are a Christian that has drifted away from church or one who has run away, come home and experience the blessing God intended for you. Don't wait until we call a permanent pastor or until all the dust settles. Jump in now and help us keep the stall clean. Now, the men will know what I'm talking about there, but that comes from Proverbs 14.4. that says, Where no oxen are, the manger is clean. Which basically means, if you don't have an ox in the stall... You don't have to shovel poop. But it goes on to say, but much revenue comes from the strength of the ox. So the parable teaches us, or the, the proverb teaches us, that anything that has value, you're going to have to clean up after. And a big part of the benefit 
of being committed and involved in church is dealing with the mess. And when we separate ourselves from that, then we lose the benefit. The last point. If you have never been born again, don't risk an eternity separated from God who loves you. If the Holy Spirit has convicted your heart, if he allows you to see your sin from God's perspective, then by all means repent and turn from the bond, the, that bondage and acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's go to the Lord. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. We thank you so much for the blood of Christ that's redeemed us. We thank you so much for the personal relationship that we have with you. But we also thank you for building us together into a local body of believers for your glory. And we pray for your name's sake that you draw us closer to you and that you build your church and that you purify your church. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.